Hello, creeps. Welcome to the Horror Vanguard. I'll be your ghost. I mean host for today's exciting tale of terror. The Beach House or the singular blasphemy of the Squamous Bad Date. <laughs> Hello everyone, how's it going? Welcome to another mini-episode of The Horror Vanguard. I am Ash, uh, joined as always by... Je by, by me? By, is, it, is, it, <laughs> is it me that you were gonna... I think it's well, I was me. Trying, I, was trying to, I was trying to give you like, like, a, like a little bit of a lead-in <clears throat> so you could, you could jump in, but that's good. This, this, this works, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> as always as always a flawless and technically perfect uh start of your show uh, yeah oh, we're so good at these we're so good at these segues oh we are so we're so good at a lot of things <laughs> we are we we said that we were putting a, a small break on the um pandemic mini episodes and we are but we do want to keep using these mini episodes as a chance to talk about things like new releases or films that we um, are excited about but maybe you don't want to put into a full episode or maybe just some weird stuff that we find and gives us a few ideas um, and so that's what we're going to do today we are talking about a film from 2019 a shutter original called the beach house well where where should we begin where should we do you think it was a bad idea to go to the beach Oh no, I think I think it was a great great idea I, I think you know the, the the choking miasma drove off a lot of the tourists. Yeah, I mean there are no there are no queues there are no queues for anything because all of the tourists are back in their rooms slowly turning into like fish monsters. Um, so yeah, it was a great idea. <laughs> um, yeah, where did you want to where did you want to start by talking about this film? I I think we should start by talking about how boring or not boring this movie is. Okay. Uh, since so for um, everyone in the audience, uh, th this movie is either divisive or not divisive at all, depending on what corner of like film review internet you like to traffic in. Um, the movie, the movie is either getting panned for being awkward and boring and and a barely functional script, or it's being celebrated for what it accomplishes. Um, so it's pretty it's pretty divisive. So let's start let's start with that. Um, I, we were saying this before we started recording, but I am genuinely baffled and slightly concerned that lots of reviews seem to think that this is boring in a bad way. <laughs> because uh, I, I, I don't know if I saw the same film as, as these people, because what I saw is like a 90 minute film that has like 45 to 60 minutes of incredibly good slow burn like atmospheric creepy weirdness uh and an ending of half an hour where it all gets <laughs> where it all gets a little bit more intense and it's kept to 90 minutes because they clearly had like no money uh but i i i'm i'm kind of i'm i am i'm i'm kind of like struggling to sort of articulate why i think calling it boring is so strange where it's like it, it what you start what this film starts out with is a kind of four-hander and it's like a character drama 
and it's full of like kind of awkward small talk but yeah it's done in a way that's very it's kind of naturalistic in terms of its acting style rather than the um rather than what we kind of maybe consider to be traditionalistic horror movie acting um what do you think about this idea of labeling this film as a boring film i mean i think i, I think there's there's a couple things going on here right like like you're saying this movie is incredibly raw right like uh our, our two characters our two main characters are emily and randall they're they're a young early 20s couple um just just starting out like adulthood you know like they're just getting into college and emily's really passionate about exobiology uh which is what she wants to study and randall is is like one one of those guys is like man like i don't really care about the system man i'm not gonna like go to college and <laughs> I, become like a drone like my dad uh let's just let's just say it right now uh randall sucks <laughs> randall 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 is a huge wet blanket throughout this whole movie uh randall the dirtbag leftist who uh thinks that college is a scam (laughs) to get you to pay taxes yeah randall randall is is the the character is very much like this particular type of like young 20s guy yeah you know like very 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 trust fund vibes very like you know, like, you know, he's just going to get a job at his dad's firm in a couple of years and it's not going to matter at all. Um, but like he, he does the character so genuinely, like they all do their characters so well, even though the characters are very like basic conceptualizations. Like um, our other two characters are Mitch and Jane and they're uh, they're an older adult couple. They're friends of Randall's dad. Yeah. Um, and they both they, they kind of all wind up cohabitating in this beach house together because they all thought it was it's like a, it's kind of like a wacky rom-com setup. They oh, we thought the beach house was going to be empty and now we're all stuck here in terms of like this movie is like, quote unquote, boring, like it, it's not a perfect movie. It's it's shot on a budget. Right. Uh, the, the, these are all people who aren't, you know, like, like this wasn't made with the full armaments of Hollywood power behind it. Right. And so there are a few things like with this film that are like, eh? I mean, like they're not bad, but like the, you know, like the, there are a couple bumps along the way. There are some things that could have been smoothed over, but like what, what I think is like, there's, there's this huge space between something being boring, i.e. there's nothing interesting going on here. Right. Because that, that boring doesn't mean lack of action. Boring doesn't mean lack of drama. Boring means there's nothing to talk about. There's nothing to hook into. There's no interest. Right. And like, I can see, I can see that for a little bit at the start of this film because it, these are kind of basic characters and like, it does take a while building towards fish monsters. Mm-hmm. But like, once we like, like once we get to fish monsters, everything is contextualized. Like, yeah. like, like once, once we get to, to, to the edibles scene, mm-hmm. like everything, everything just picks up from there. You know, and like, and that it makes all of that, like the that on ramping, worth it. Yeah, absolutely. And so, like, this is this is we were talking about this before we started, but this is boring in the way that melancholia is boring. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, what I really like about the opening, um, like forty five minutes, is there there are lo- there's lots of use of like silence, and there's some yes. very kind of odd cutting away to various things, and so I think people don't. I'm not sure if people get bored. I think people get frustrated because the film depends a lot on you paying attention without being told exactly what the relationship is between Emily and Randall. Because 
they're presented as like stereotypical college sweethearts but by the time you get to the dinner scene you realize that actually they're very different people who don't necessarily communicate that well because like you don't <laughs> when you're a 20 something and you're in a relationship with a guy who's like not really going anywhere and like it they they're not that compatible and all of that is kind of revealed through very like just moments of quiet when nothing is said um and there are, and the the other thing that i really like in that what you call that unramping period is there are these just really odd cutaway shots so like super close ups on like the textures of water and um like hand washing and oysters and things which are kind of like slightly viscerally gross um and that's all that's all cumulative and the reason by the time you get to the edible scene that things start to hit a little bit harder is precisely because of all of this very quiet subtle storytelling work um that a lot of it comes across just in the acting and i think the acting in this is is generally really really strong um so people people maybe don't get maybe don't get bored but they get maybe frustrated with not being told and instead just being shown stuff happening to characters right yeah and so so it in my head while i was watching this i was imagining the kind of lesser version of this that got a better critical response you know because because we would have had a scene where emily was like randall we can't be in a relationship because i am a career-driven independent woman and you are a lazy layabout who's just riding on his father's coat it would have like you yeah, would yeah. have had that expositional fight that would have explained everything but it would have been really high drama and then the scene where um so mitch and jane uh the older couple who are also sharing the house like when we first find out that they're in the house it's it's because emily hears jane enter mm-hmm. you know and like like we we see a glimpse of jane and then like a, a lesser movie would have played that like it was the slasher breaking in yeah. There would have been a lot of dramatic orchestral stings, a lot of quick camera movements to show Emily hiding like, oh no, this, you know, somebody super dangerous has potentially broken into this home. But it, it plays really organically, right? It, it plays like a, a young college woman just saw some random old lady walk into her house. And so she's like quietly sneaking upstairs to go wake up her boyfriend because she doesn't know what else to do and she can't get to a phone and like... It, it's so subtle and so subdued it makes it a lot better yeah i could i and that's exactly the word that i wrote down whilst i was watching this which is like there's a big dependence on like subtle storytelling and it feels like i hate i hate using this because it's a bit of a cliche but it genuinely does feel like you're watching something organically unfold I, you you might go well i know what this film is because i've seen a lot of horror movies but i'm also like that moment is a really great example of it where it's like it's played very much like that awkward social interaction rather than leaning into the genre rules of what a horror you know of like the red herring jump scare in a horror movie yeah yeah no completely like th- and these these are all really basic characters but yeah, they're totally. played so uh, uh cleanly like like the acting is so real right that that it, that it creates this almost incomfortability while watching it and i love i love that kind of layering that happens right because i i you know like i watch a lot of horror movies so i'm expecting a lot of horror conventions 
you know, as, as the movie unravels, right? You know, like one one thing that I was expecting is I was expecting the kind of like those teases that something horrible is going on to appear throughout the movie, mm-hmm. right? But that really never happens, you know? Emily sees some kind of like uh, a slug on, on, on the stoop when she's sitting outside. Mm-hmm. And that that is the closest we get to some kind of like you know, like like the radio in the background going like this just in uh, a mysterious thing seen in the oh, change the channel. The news is so boring. Like, yeah, yeah, like there's none. There's none of that. You know, we just have this this nice, awkward character drama. <laughs> and then and then we just immediately slam into sixth gear as as this horrible fog descends on the beach house. Yeah, exactly. And I I really like I really like what you said when we before we started recording, which is like, yeah, this film is boring, but that's why it's great, <laughs> right? No, I, I I completely agree. Like this film knows how to use restraint. Yeah, yeah. And then like that's what like like if this whole movie would have been just the last like forty minutes, it would have been a really generic zombie movie. Oh you yeah, know, completely. It it needs this beginning. It needs this really slow burn while we get to like just soak in the mundanity of these people's lives before we destroy humanity. <laughs> yeah. And you, you know, you realize like Emily and Randall, are, are like I, this on and on again, off again relationship and that he doesn't really get her and she's probably just sticking around because, you know, eh. there's a horrible moment where she's talking about how like, how excited she is to go to grad school and he just goes well what's the fucking point what's the point what why would you even bother you know it's all bullshit and it's like you don't need to have the big expositional stage stage piece which would be the fight you know where they throw stuff at each other and then they go oh no we have to band together to survive this you can just do it through like a really uncomfortable silence Great use, subtlety in horror. It's a thing, and it works so well. Right, right. It's highly underrated. Um, but no, like, and that—that's what—that's what works about this entire movie. You know, is—is is we are—we're just—we're just in this horrible mundanity for the entire thing, right? We've all got friends, or even perhaps are ourselves, in in awkward relationships where we're trying to figure out, like, okay, like, is—is is this over? Like, and even in the beginning, it's like, she clearly wanted to have an important conversation, but he was like, no, 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 let's go to my dad's beach house instead, mm-hmm. yeah. you know? And like, and even that, that, that's played so like, you can see Emily's frustration and Randall's kind of childish behavior. You can see Randall trying to figure out like what's going on in the world, but he doesn't necessarily have the critical tools to get the job done. And then like when we get to, to Mitch and Jane, like even Mitch and Jane, like have that kind of like mundane, mundane verisimilitude. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, they're like aging boomers, but they're like, no, we're hip, we're cool. You know, and then that's how they like, like, um, but like, I think like this is what makes, and this is something we were talking about earlier, but this, this is what makes the kind of cat- catastrophic ending work, right? Is that because like, look at the world around us right now. We're, we're living through the end of the Anthropocene. We're we're living through um, upri- fascist uprisings, popular uprisings, left uprisings, a literal pandemic, fifty um, percent unemployment here in the United States, or about round about there. Like we're living through, like just spin the wheel of catastrophes. Um, the the aliens haven't landed yet, but it is on my twenty twenty bingo card, <laughs> and like. 
And, and like, but all of that's still going on, and people are still going on awkward dates. People are still trying to figure out if they should dump their partner. People are still uh, uh, trying to hang on to the fact that they're hip and cool, even though they're getting a little too old for that. Like, you know, you still have like uh, dickhead twenty-somethings guys that are like, "Man, the system's so rigged," <laughs> you know, yeah, absolutely. having like these really basic political thoughts, but not knowing where to go with them. Mundanity never stops. Yeah. And and this is the whole point of this film, right? Which is that a massive catastrophe, like a, a, literally what the film calls an extinction event, is playing out at exactly the same time as you try and go away to your boyfriend's dad's beach house to maybe try and patch things up. And it's that juxtaposition, that that um, the mundane as as the micro against this macro catastrophic background that is a very kind of contemporary iteration of horror and so in the notes that we have to prepare for all of these episodes i wrote um a quote from walter benjamin which is that where he says that, that things just go on is the catastrophe like and you can see that at the moment right we're, we're as you say we're living through all of these things and yet every kind of major media discourse is how how are things going to get back to normal? And it's that desire for things just to go on the same way that they always have that is the the true catastrophic error that you fall into. Because these moments, you realize that actually things have to fundamentally change. But this, this drive, this insistence that the mundane is going to persist forever uh, will get us all killed. Something just came to my mind. And. <laughs> but if you want to see a really good example of, of how. Of, of just the kind of like the raw space between how horrifying it is to try and cling on to mundanity as these things are changing around us. And, and, and how that space completely inverts when, when mundanity is rejected in favor of the kind of like. Uh, uh, like like rapid surrealist expansion like uh just look at guardians of the galaxy you know chris platt pratt plays no <laughs> this, this is, is gonna this work is, okay, okay the okay. horrible thing about this is this is gonna work <laughs> no but like so, so chris pratt's character and all those uh, is a superhero named star lord um and his his like his shtick is that he was abducted as a young boy and and he becomes like a space pirate Right. And like, but like, you know, he's got these nostalgic uh, uh, things that he clings on to, like like 80s rock music and like these vague childhood memories. But, you know, he, he's really embraced his new life as as a guy who hangs out with aliens and travels through the cosmos every day. You you can invert that movie and, and make it about this kind of like cosmic terror and cosmic dread as, as his human world disintegrates around him and he's still trying to claw towards it. You know, like that's that's what we get in this movie. You could do the superhero version of the beach house, you mm. know, where we're like this young exobiologist becomes infected with this potentially alien seaborne uh, uh, parasite and, and spends the whole movie exploring and embracing her increasing fish fish like nature. You know, you, you can invert that mundanity and it, and it can take you to like really different and interesting places. But like in this movie and in the lives that we're living right now. The absolute unshaking horror is that, like, in in about twelve days from this recording, rent is going to be due again, 
and and 50% unemployment and the end of the Anthropocene are things that might happen within our lifetime. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And this, this brings us up to, it brings us on to something which I think is really interesting, which is that there is a character in this film who I think is aware of this, which is uh, Emily. Mm-hmm. So they have this, they, they, what I really like actually is there's a good chemistry between the the four of them as well. And you actually, it starts out as a kind of like slightly cringy social interaction, but there's this dinner, there's this dinner scene where you actually kind of like, Oh, maybe, maybe this will be like a fun story. They laugh about in a couple of years time. Um, and Emily starts talking about why she's interested in, uh, astrobiology. Um, and there's there's this like it's a it's actually it's a really well written kind of moment, and it she just starts by saying that we're so fragile, like our our life is so our existence or our our, our um our, our species being to put it in a Marxist uh, framework is is so deeply contingent and it depends upon so many extraneous and external factors, um of the ecosystems and an environment of which we're a part because without any of those being just kind of perfectly balanced humans would never have existed in this current form um and you know she's the one who kind of gets it that we are uh, a deep our existence is deeply fragile and that drive to make things seem normal is a way of disguising that fact it's a way of um hiding our own vulnerability from ourselves and our own dependence on things that are in many ways out of our individual control. Yeah, I think I think that is that is a completely accurate read of of what's going on through this whole film. And I think that uh, I think this leads us this leads us nicely into point three: subsections A, B, and uh, subsection B I. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah. like, go on. Yeah. So, so Emily is into astrobiology and exobiology and these kind of like ideas of, oh, alien life forms that, that landed on earth and created the first DNA that later turned into life on earth and stuff like that. And, and so she's like, she's just starting this exploration and like, there, there are so many good dissolves that I really like in this movie and like, they're they're focused on like kind of like aquatic imagery like water and bubbles and like these foaming surfaces mm. and that this is this speaks to the fragility of what's going on throughout the entire uh screenplay here like everything is so paper thin you know these characters are all paper thin representations of real people everybody's acting is so quiet and subdued even when there's like apocalyptic chaos going on everything there's not the blaring like that would be in like like a big budget movie everything is so so fragile right and you get you get um like mitch and jane they they, so uh randall kind of coerces them into trying edibles for the first time and like it's it's the silliest it's 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 right out of reefer madness (laughs) yeah (laughs) <laughs> because because like Randall Randall and Emily are fine because they've just taken edibles and they haven't taken like uh, a a truckload of like psilocybin or something <laughs> and like they're just like calm and kind of sleepy 
Right, and and Mitch is like Mitch is having like a an, an encounter with machine elves. He's like tripping through the astral plane as he stares at soap bubbles, <laughs> and he's just like, Whoa. you know. And it's like it's the it's the most like okay, like I, I get it. He's an old guy who's maybe doing weed for the first time in like sixty years or something, and like you know, it's hitting him really hard. But like him, him like tripping i was like okay like i'm getting reefer madness vibes here (laughs) (laughs) and like like that that, that's one of the things for the movie that kind of didn't work for me um was the whole edibles interchange right because i see what they're going for right they take edibles and like like you know thc is a psychoactive compound you know incredibly mild compared to everything else out there and then, like, that begins the opening of the door in, into this, like, new cosmic realm. But, like, it should have just been shrooms. You know, if, if, oh, if yeah, you're going to yeah. go there, you, you, you should just be like, you, you know, because this whole thing was like, oh, like, you know, weed's legal in so many places now. You guys should try it. He, he should have been like, you know, like, weed's getting legal, which means if you want to be cool, you know, he should have just played into it more. But, like, it just felt like, like okay, like, I get what you're going for. Like, weed is kind of psychedelic, and they're entering into this psychedelic space. But it felt so, like, almost like uh, like like weed exploitation kind of thing. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I thought, like, a better way of doing it would be to have kept things kind of minimalistic if they were insisting on doing the weed, which feels very much like a, a horror genre holdover, which wasn't needed. Because what yeah. the the one the one thing about it which I actually kind of like is where they they all go out onto the balcony and they look out at the sea, and there is um like a bioluminescence in the sea, and all of them are like, there's this implication where it's like is that is that something that's really there or is that just like a mild hallucinogen from the THC, and that that is quite I think is would work because that's very subtle it's very restrained. But you're right. It's it's a little bit sort of like, come on, guys. <laughs> like, and it's all it's, it's it's all pretext for like. So Jane Jane is dying of something. You know, we 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 see. Uh, you know, like at one point, Emily opens the bathroom medicine cabinet. And it's just full of this cornucopia of pills, and and like Jane Jane is taking a lot of medication. Uh, you know, she's an older woman. You know, it's it's heavily intimated throughout the course of the film that Jane is actively in the process of dying. And like the the weed is just pretext for for Jane to wander off into the mist, yeah. and and for everything to go to shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just like why why weren't they just drunk? They were drinking wine. You know, like yeah. you could have just done that with wine. You didn't need to bring this weed thing in there. So anyway, that, that's my, my one critique is like the the transition between the mundanity and the surreality is it's like I, I see what you're going for, but the, the idea needed to be refined. Yeah, I I think that's a perfectly reasonable that's a perfectly reasonable point. Um I, I would I would agree. But um okay, so we want to keep this episode to an actual uh, mini episode that is actually mini episode length. <laughs> yes, yeah, we should keep we should keep going. We should j- jump, uh, jump yes, ahead a little let's, bit. Let's, let's plow talk, through. Let's talk about um that relationship then between the four of them. Because there is this phrase that you put in the notes, which I think is really interesting. Jane is dying, right? So after Randall gives his just so tedious, like, left bro 101 assessment of society, um, like, Jane gets very emotional about it, and, uh, about something, and says that, you know, we're so fortunate to, to kind of be here. Um, 
and again performances are all great it, it works but there is something here right there is a potential antagonism between younger like millennials and who are kind of precarious often downwardly mobile often um hugely indebted by the educational system that they were told was necessary to be a part of the labor market against these comfortable late middle-aged boomers who have done very well and are trying and thinking about enjoying their retirement there are these there is a kind of fault line that's running between these two uh people right these two yeah yeah and and it's it's Jane Ann Mitch who keep repeating that line. We're so fortunate. We're so fortunate to be here. We're so fortunate to be here with you, and and you you, you see this kind of like you know Mitch Mitch and Emily are very wealthy, right? This is Mitch's dad's beach house, you know. Like this this isn't really an economic rift between them. I, I don't think because you know we this will be one day Randall's property, mm-hmm. right? He'll inherit this from his father. This is part of his father's holdings. Um, Randall's I think his father's kind of referred to as Doc, so I assume they're Doc, a yes. potentially some kind of doctor. And like, for for me though, it's kind of like what happens to the rest of the movie is the world literally ends, you know. And you have you have Mitch and Jane who are dying, and they're just kind of happy to be riding out their last days. And then you have uh, Emily and Randall who have to face everything that's going to happen, and you do see this kind of like. Like intergenerational conflict is is so reductionist, right? There, there are, yeah. there. It's 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 like you know, the, you know, every time every time we hear a millennial say, "Oh, the Zoomers are so good, they're going to save us," it's like, no, there's going to be there's going to be Zoomer Elon Musk's, there's going to be Zoomer Mark Zuckerberg's, you know, there's going to be Zoomer cops. Like the Zoomers are going to sustain the system, just like the millennials will, and just like the Boomers have. You know, like the, the idea that we're waiting for our savior is just so silly. Um, but like the, this film is kind of like teasing along those lines, right? Because like there is, there is change over time, and that change over time is levied against some people more than it is levied against others. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. There yeah. is one. There is one area though that I think there is a commonality, and that's between Randall and Mitch, because both of them realize that they are not equipped really to deal with what's happening. Right, so after after the dinner party, after the party, after they've all done uh, edibles, they wake up and Jane is seriously ill. Right, she's got like skin lesions. She seems like almost catatonic, and um, Mitch is not there. He's he's gone. So they go down to the beach. They find Mitch, and he just explicitly tells them um, that he can't deal with the reality of what's happening. I mean, and this is kind of a bleak sociological fact that's that's true, that um, couples in long term, uh, heterosexual couples in long term marriages, if one of the partners gets seriously and terminally ill, um, and if it's uh, the woman in the partnership, it's much more likely the man's going to leave. Like that's a that's a very dispiriting sociological fact, and he he leaves in the most. Um, extreme way possible by walking into the sea to literally drown himself. Get into the sea. Um, and then later on, Randall basically admits after he's been injured and he's been infected, he basically admits, "I'm not going to make it. I'm, I'm dying, and I'm 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 scared of it." 
because he he too like the end of the world is a, is a, is something that he he's not even mentally but like physically physiologically not able to cope with so i totally agree that there is this kind of implied very implicit generational antagonism but there is also a kind of interesting commonality between the two sets despite their massive differences as well i mean if i think if if we're going to be blunt about it like the movie is recognizing that there is like there are material influences that supersede generational ones and that indeed are the factors that undergird generational differences yeah absolutely and like mitch mitch and randall share in their unquestioning uh participation within the patriarchy they they're both wealthy and and it's leading us you know like like that level of healthcare in the united states is a signifier of wealth and, yeah. and the fact that they have these kind of similar responses to the world i think that's yeah. quite telling Spe- speaking of speaking of the world though we've got two more points let's um one thing um that was really interesting to me is that this movie this movie got released during covid Mm-hmm. and and throughout the entire movie we're in this like uh, vacation beach town that's virtually empty you know we only see like four or five people throughout the course of the entire movie and there's something about the kind of like the, the, this pandemic came completely destabilized and destroyed the economy there there has been no response you know like the only uh you know kind of like government officials we see are either dead or their vehicles are abandoned, so they're they're completely washed from any kind of potential to help. And we're we're in we're in this choking world where just breathing can make you sick and and lethally dangerously sick. And and watching this in 2020 is just so jarring. And the fact that these people have to like shelter together, you know, they just happen to be together when this happens, so they got stuck together quarantined. Like it, it, this film winds up being weirdly prescient for coming out when it came out. Yeah, and it's and it's bleak as hell. Very, <laughs> it's, it's it's bleak as hell, and because th- there is the recognition that you are completely powerless to do anything. Um, and I th- I found that the the ending actually was really, uh, kind of disturbing. You know, there there are a couple of moments of body horror in this, which is like fine, whatever. But the ending is pretty like disturbing. So, um, the very the very final shot is uh, Emily waking up on the on the beach and is uh, clearly dying, clearly sick, and is is lying in the water. And we end with her saying to the camera, to the audience, "Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid." Don't be afraid before being washed away, um, and just vanishing into the, into the water. It's a great ending, but in the context of watching this in the middle of a of a kind of pandemic, there's something about that that's really unnerving because it's like if there's anything that we have kind of had to learn, it's that there's very little that we can do. You know, social distancing, masking, really important, but like a public health crisis reveals the limits of individual capability you know um so the two of them don't make any really you know in horror movies someone always makes the stupid choice right they always make you always go what are you doing but like all of their actions are kind of fairly reasonably well thought out and seem like something that actual 
people in the world might do. They, you know, they try and take care of the people that they're with. They escape when people get dangerous. They try and find transport. But none of that really matters because you're facing something which doesn't depend upon individual decision making. It depends upon vast systemic forces, right? It's a public health crisis that we that we're living through. Um, so that ending is is it hits really hard. It hits really hard. I I completely agree. Like I think uh, our, our our two protagonists make nothing but pragmatic choices. Right, the things they do are all incredibly like we do. Yeah, we we never get the moment where it's like I'm going to go alone into the killer to find an answer. It's like we never we never get that, which is so refreshing. Everything they do is just like seek shelter, uh, try try and get out of the situation, and do reasonable measured stuff, <clears throat> and that add that adds to the kind of like believable mundanity. You know, we never get that moment where they just run head on into their own death for the fun of it, mm-hmm. and like. But I, I kind of have like the inverse reading of the end. Like the end for me was almost hopeful, right? Like everybody, everybody else who, who kind of like, so, so you breathe in this mist, right? And the mist, uh, you know, we get like a little line of dialogue. The mist might be some kind of bacteria uh, released from rocks deep in the sea due to climate change. Um, but it affects everything and it, it, it brings about like this kind of like Lovecraftian jellyfish nightmare world. Yeah. Um, but we see we see what happens to the people who get stuck on land, you know, like they 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 melt, they turn into big gooey monster piles, like this kind of like shunted Cronenberg body horror thing. Um, but like Mitch walks into the ocean and we never see Mitch again. You know, his body doesn't float. Like people float. <laughs> Mitch goes under the water. Um, and, and like when, when Emily is is washed away there at the end, there's almost something like hopeful about that because she's saying, don't be afraid. And instead of clinging on to the mundanity, right, instead of trying to stop change from happening, she embraces the forward motion of change mm. and is kind of the only character to not die a horrible, terrifying death, right? She she embraces what's going on in the world and chooses to make decisions inside of this new context, right? Well, She's not trying to restructure the world as it was known, as everyone else had been trying to, like Mitch in a certain sense, she yeah. she goes forward into this unknown space and i think that there is something hopeful there right like we don't need to try and recreate the world where we're working for seven dollars and 25 cents an hour we need to go forward into this scary new thing where we have like i, I don't know a social safety net <laughs> well i actually a fish think, man safety net well no yeah i think i think maybe we're dialectics i think maybe we're both right <laughs> so <laughs> so um I wrote a paper about Thomas Lugosi and the concept of acid communism a while ago. Um, and Fisher makes a point that like radical transformation is not necessarily just entirely a positive thing, right? If we are to kind of, because the, 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 in that ending, what's being proposed is not just kind of like a new societal organization. It's a, it's a, it's a new ontology. It's a new kind of mm-hmm. being, right well, you become you don't live in a new way you become a new kind of thing entirely and um so the paper i wrote looked at this in the context of Ligotti, and Ligotti's characters are always confronted by the possibility of an entirely new world a new ontological structure to reality um that is potentially liberatory is potentially transformative but you can never say that that's entirely positive there is always, you know, and you know, Lugotti's characters always recoil from it and end up kind of like 
being driven insane by it or dying because of it. And I think you're, you're totally onto something, but I think maybe we need to push it a little bit further. And it's like, this is, this is the potential of a new kind of life that is uh, post-human, is uh, anti-anthropocentric. Um, and yeah, you can go uh, on an intellectual level, you might go, yeah, that's that seems good. But there's also a kind of horrifying cost to that. that th this film very viscerally shows with all of its, you know, vomiting and uh, disgusting transformations uh, and its viscosity. So like, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe at the ending, it's 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 a warning and a promise. Don't don't be afraid. But if if this planet is going to be like uh, that's something that Emily says, right? If this planet is going to be like every other planet or um, the planet as it was before human life emerged, what is it going to be? And the word that she uses is chaos. You know, something something um, raw, but an an unformed and terrifying, but also like potentially potentially a new way of existing. What's really telling for me is that like the vast majority of our conversation has been about the quote unquote boring parts. Yeah. Talking absolutely. about the relationship, talking about the, the, the character work. You know, we barely touched on the the cosmic sea plague that destroys humanity. Because <laughs> because we didn't need to, right? That's not the beating heart of this movie. The beating heart of this movie is the interaction between characters. Ugh. Thanks for tuning in, creeps. And remember, stay spooky. <laughs> Ha 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 